Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to this week's installment of Money in the Middle podcast. We are so grateful that you continue to take this journey with us on a weekly basis. And we look forward to getting into today's topic and hopefully making it make sense. Again, I'm your host, Ron Sims. Let's get into it. As is customary, our proverb for the week, uh, it says, by wisdom, a house is built and through understanding, it is established through knowledge. Its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. By wisdom, a house is built and through understanding, it is established through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I I really particularly love that proverb because it it places the value on wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. There's a lot of information uh, that is constantly being uh, perpetrated on the marketplace right now. And it's important that, you know, we resist the urge to act on impulse or to uh, respond without planning, right? Without utilizing uh, our tools for understanding what's actually going on in the marketplace. So uh, build your house on a strong foundation, right? Build your house or your financial house, your investments, etc., off of true wisdom and understanding, you know, do some research, learn what it is that you are, you know, looking to do and make it happen. Well, it's no secret that there's a lot that's been going on in the market and over this last, uh, week, right, in the market, in the news, uh, in the public square, in the world, right, from everything from Johnny Depp's uh, deposition to Elon Musk buying Twitter or defeating the poison pill for Twitter, which we're going to talk about a bit today, and the Ukrainian war that uh, continues to forge on. As you'll know, within uh, themes in this podcast, we pride ourselves on quieting the noise and really kind of getting down to the the bones of what affects you and why it's important, right? So we'll start off talking about the uh, the mortgage market, right? We've spoken in in depth about the current interest rate environment. We've spoken in depth about, um, you know, folks who are looking to purchase mortgages and get into real estate and things of that nature. But I don't think we've ever really gone into why the interest rates are so high or why uh, folks 
who originally had a buying power of three, four, five hundred thousand, is effectively cut in half because of their effective interest rate. The good thing about this podcast is that it is recorded and archived, so you can come back and listen to it anytime you want, especially if you're subscribed, right? Because uh, as much as we try to make this podcast simple for everyone to understand, there are some things that uh, will just require a little more uh, educational resources, right? So, why... Are the interest rates so high? Right? I know most folks will just say, oh, you know, the demand, the demand, right? Well, if you want to understand why the interest rates are so high, you have to understand the economic market over the past couple of years, or at least over the last two years, right? From the pandemic, etc. At the onset of the pandemic, the Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve Bank or the Fed, more uh, endearingly known if you can be endearing to the Fed, right, took a measure called quantitative easing, right? Quantitative easing. And what quantitative easing is, is basically the Fed decided that it was going to ease some of the pains or some of the or basically mitigate some of the risk on the mortgage and how the mortgage marketplace or the mortgage backed securities marketplace um, by purchasing uh, mortgage debt from uh, loan originators and institutions of, uh, you know, of credit on a monthly basis. And the Fed did that for uh, at least a year and a half or more for on, on the at the tune of a f- few hundred million to a few billion dollars a month, right? That was a part of the government printing money ordeal, you know, PPP and IDLE and all that. This was another way that the government's printing money um, kind of contributed to the inflationary environment that we see, as well as the current rate environment that we're in, right? Now, fast forward to uh, inflation being the, the the big bad wolf that is kind of plaguing the Biden administration, right? And quite frankly, it's plaguing all of us, right? Because inflation has an effect on everything that we do, um, good or bad, Right? We talked about with Roderick how inflation is good for the business owner, but uh, kind of annoying for the consumer. Right. You know, and by extension, every single uh, thing that you purchase or sell has been affected. Right. One of the ways to cure that is by raising interest rates, right? Raising interest rates is a technique used by governments to slow down spending, right? The philosophy being that the easier and the cheaper capital is to get, the the more, the the easier it is for folks to have access to capital, 
the more they borrow it, especially if it's cheap. But the if you can't get access to capital or if it, it's too expensive for you to access, then it slows down the economy. It's, that's, a not, that's generally an indicator that the economy is either picking back up from where it was or, um, you know, or other financial indicators. I'm not going to make any predictions, right? So now the Federal Reserve is entering into or not entering into, right? We're at the point where the Fed has entered into its next phase of economic uh, economic modeling, if you will, right? Which is Fed tapering. So what is Fed tapering, right? The official definition, according to Business Insider, is uh, tapering is how the Federal Reserve throttles back economic stimulus by slowing the pace of its asset purchases. So effectively, the assets that the uh, that the Fed was buying were mortgage-backed securities, secondary market, etc. Right. Back in, in November of last year, the Fed entered into a uh, Fed tapering uh, posture to help curve and curve the the inevitable inflation and slow down the economic stimulus. Well, I, I want to say it was Einstein, but, you know, says that for every action, there's an equal and uh, there's an equal reaction, right? Nothing is without consequence, no matter what is going on. And so the Fed entering into when when the Fed went into quantitative easing, you know, folk lenders were writing mortgages left and right. You saw interest rates, the lowest that they have been in forever. Right. And then you also saw everyone who qualified or who possibly could applying for a mortgage. Because coupled with the rates being near zero, uh, coupled with the rates being near zero, quantitative easing made it easier and less risky for banks to write those loans so that uh, folks can get them. Right. Well, with fair tapering and inflation being the way that it is, the need this is a direct correlation to slowing stimulus and raising rates. Now, we talked about how the prime rate as of our last episode was three and a half percent. As of this episode, that's still the case with uh, our Fed chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, anticipating and hoping to raise that by another 50 basis points or one half of 1% going into the month of May. Okay. If you are in the residential mortgage, if you're in the non-QM or the secondary market, you're starting to see that rates have gone up astronomically, right? Despite the federal prime rate still being low. And the question that needs to be asked that 
is generally overlooked by the general public because you don't know to ask is why. Right? Why? And you don't think to ask why because you just assume that it is what it is. But it, it that's a part of it. But here's the why, right? Lenders write mortgages, Wells Fargo, Bayview Asset Management, you know, all the banks, all the mortgage companies. They're writing mortgages and they're still securitizing those mortgages, meaning that the way that banks make money on mortgages, you, 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 you've got to you've got to know that a bank is not going to wait 30 years to get to make their money on on a mortgage. Right. Loan mortgage loans are written for 30 years. Right. But banks aren't going to sit around and wait for 30 years. And say, hey, we're going to let this money stay out in the marketplace for 30 years. And once it's paid back, we're going to give it. We're going to that's where we will, um, you know, relend that money. No banks will hold on to your loan, depending on the risk profile for a specified period of time based on their capital markets uh, objectives. And then. Once they have determined that, you know, it's, you know, they've made the profit or the capital that they want from that loan or you've reached past, you know, if it's a non-QM, your your prepayment penalty uh, FX, banks sell those loans on the secondary market, usually with the federal government being uh, one of the primary buyers or at least in the last couple of years with the federal government being the primary buyer, right? With the government or with the Fed not being as big a player in that uh, asset purchasing marketplace, you got to ask yourself, well, who the hell's buying the the mortgages now, right? Or who the hell's buying these, these assets now? And the answer is large investment firms, BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, Morgan Stanley, Sidebar. I I learned, you know, I've been doing this for some time. Well, I knew that they wrote private mortgages, but I didn't know that they wrote uh, commercial, that Morgan Stanley is in the commercial mortgage space, right? And... They are writing commercial mortgages uh, over a million bucks, of course, because it's Morgan Stanley at an extraordinary premium. But that's neither here nor there, right? Meaning that their clients are getting really good rates. Anyway, the types of companies that I just mentioned, you know, Morgan Stanley, BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, you know, all these different hedge funds, private equity firms, mutual funds, etc. They are... Their number one objective is to provide yield or uh, profit or return on investment to their investment, uh, to their investors, right? And sometimes that is large pension funds. Sometimes those are real estate investment trusts or REITs. 
sometimes it's institutional funds. Sometimes it's just rich people with a whole bunch of money, right? The primary objective being profit and yield means that if there is a marketplace to charge more interest on these residential which residential mortgages, primary uh, home mortgages are the least risky of all mortgage profiles. All right. Because like we said, I mean, who the hell doesn't pay their mortgage? Um, If they can get higher yield versus the floor of the federal prime rate, they're going to. Right. They're going to think of it this way. If you had an opportunity to to buy, uh, to own the, the mortgage on a few million dollars worth of real estate, you know, especially AAA rated, meaning that they, these borrowers have high credit scores, they have low default, they have good uh, credit history, good income, etc. You would want the maximum available interest yield available, right? And, and, and mortgage, mortgages are not like stocks and things of that nature. Stocks appreciate over time, but a mortgage is effectively a bond, meaning that it's a loan that provides monthly payments or some, uh, payments on a schedule to, uh, to the investor who owns that that asset. So if you were wondering why your mortgage rate went from three and a half percent or three point nine nine percent on your quoted mortgage last year to four something, five something. I even was talking to uh, one of my colleagues in the industry who does residential who said that they're seeing interest rates for folks who have a 620 credit score with no uh, rate buy down in the sixes, which again, it's still low. There was one point where uh, in time where folks were paying 10, 11, 12% on residential mortgages. So it's still low in comparison historically, right? But there's a, a whole generation of people on the, on the earth right now in the marketplace right now that this is all they know. They are 100% used to lower rates over uh, longer periods of time. The cool part is that, you know, the FHA program has extended their uh, 30 year out to 40 years for, you know, whoever's participating. So keep those things in mind as you're starting to uh, wonder why and advance your knowledge on what's really going on or what's really happening in the marketplace. Now, we have talked about the housing market, interest rates, FHA, real estate investment, yada, 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 until kingdom come, right? 
And I'm glad to say that we're finally moving on from that. Let's talk about something fun, right? I'm sure you all know that, uh, or you, you know, I mean, well, you can't really miss it, right? Elon Musk uh, placed a bid for uh, media, news, and, uh, you know, entertainment giant Twitter, right? In all fairness, you know, I've tried Twitter, but I just, I just, it just didn't really work for me, right? I couldn't really get in, couldn't really get into it, okay? But uh, there are a lot of people on Twitter. There are a lot of folks who use Twitter for sales, marketing, etc., on a daily and monthly basis. Um, you know, and I, I won't get into the politics of the whole ordeal. But I I do like to see an outlier kind of stick it to the mainstream, if you will. That's just my opinion. If you don't share that opinion, that's okay. This podcast is for everyone, right? So Elon Musk uh, made a bit, you know, first thing he did, he, he, he took the hostile takeover route, right, of buying 10 percent becoming the largest shareholder of the of a public company and um and saying that hey you know i'm gonna do a hostile takeover right but shortly after you know he i mean it, i mean technically it's still kind of a hostile takeover but uh it hurts a little less for twitter right because shortly after he came out and made a respectable bid right that bid, uh, it, it's almost like that bid wasn't even entertained by Twitter. It's almost like that bid wasn't even entertained by Twitter. Twitter was like, all right, man, right? But with Elon Musk being the uh, top shareholder, uh, they had to take him seriously, right? Because also, if he were to just sell his 10% stake, I mean, it could be bad. It could be really bad. I mean, it could effectively tank, uh, tank the stock. Well, Twitter says, you know what? We're going to get cute. We ain't think about Elon Musk. We're going to get cute and we're going to do what's called uh, enact the poison pill, right? What's a poison pill, you might ask? Well, let's see. According to Investopedia, okay, a poison pill is uh, a poison pill is a tactic used by the board or defensive strategy, uh, generally or more. more formally referred to as a shareholder rights plan. Uh, And this sort of plan really is designed to discourage the unwelcome accumulation of a company's stock uh, above a threshold by promising to dilute or to uh, basically shrink down uh, an activist buyer's stake 
uh, with a discounted shares to sell, you know, for for the other shareholders. Right. The goal is really to make the share purchases above the limit uh, set in the shareholders right plan uh, unpalatable. Right. Which is why they call it a poison pill. Problem with that is that generally nobody benefits. It's it's a poison pill because it, it hurts everyone. It hurts the current shareholders. It hurts the potential buyer, etc. But it's it's a it's a, a a means of last resort, if you will, right? Well, they went on with that for a little bit, and uh, Musk basically told them to go fish, right? They went. They sent out uh, information, or they sent out. Uh, request for bids, you know, to beat Musk, um, to beat Musk offer. And basically, uh, according to financial journals and things of that nature, nobody even responded. Right. Well, ultimately, Musk had to uh, not Musk. Twitter gave in to Musk, Elon Musk, and they agreed to the sale. Which I thought was fantastic, man. Look, I don't I don't go on Twitter, actually ever. I have a Twitter account, but I don't go there ever. But I do think that it's important, you know, for uh, this was a really good business uh, maneuver that happened in the public eye. Then there is. All of the other things that's going on in the world. We are not going to get into that because I've talked your head off enough. Right. But I thank you for listening. Um, I, I do. And uh, next week is going to be our season finale. So don't forget to tune in. Please join us. Stogie of the week is the Winston Churchill Genevieve uh, line from Davidoff. We're stepping up in the world here, right? <laughs> I was in the cigar shop and the guy, you know, I saw some cigars on the counter. I said, hey, what, what are these, you know, for, for a dollar and some change? The guy says, hey, man, you're buying Davidoff. You don't want to buy those things. And I say, oh, well, you know, keep them moving. But anyway, thank you for joining. Uh, until next time, peace.